Welcome to the MFR Coaches Podcast, where we talk about how you can create a six-figure MFR practice. I'm your host, Heather Hommel. Not only have I been practicing MFR for 11 years, I'm also a life and business coach, especially for MFR therapists. My goal is for you to understand how to get fully booked, how to talk to your clients, and how to make sure they understand what's possible for them with MFR treatment. I'm here to help you stop under earning, overworking, and burning out. I'll lend support so you can create the MFR practice you've always wanted. Learn how you can do it too, even if you live in a tiny town and even if you're just starting out and even if you've ran your practice for years. Let's go. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the MFR Coaches Podcast. I am joined today with Rachel Miller-Williams. She is the owner of Midtown Physical Therapy in New York City, and she also has a, another location. So she's got two locations, one in the Bronx and one in the Upper West Side, both in Manhattan, New York City. So Rachel, welcome to the program. I'm happy to have you. How are you? I am just as happy to be here. I am very grateful to be here and looking forward to having a meaningful conversation with you. Yeah. So just full disclosure, Rachel is not a current coaching client of mine, but maybe we can get her in. We'll see what happens with this. I'm easily persuaded at times. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) I do follow her on social media. She is excellent at teaching people things through her online social media platform. She is a myofascial release therapist, a physical therapist, and she is an old school MFR therapist. She told me that when we got on the call. I'm not sure what that means, but she is going to explain it to all of you all. So you guys kind of get to know her and understand like she created her practice from scratch back in the days when there weren't coaches or special access to specifically MFR coaching back in the day. So tell us, Rachel, like how did you become an MFR therapist? What is your story there? Oh, how I became an MFR therapist is, as most people's, a very funny story, actually. So I was, again, very linearly, traditionally trained as a physical therapist. I went to Columbia University and I started working in Manhattan as part of the big boys club. I was with sports medicine, elite athletes. I was really involved and I was doing great. I had an amazing mentor who was an Australian manual therapist. So I was training with the best of the best and I was at the top of my orthopedic game. I was training with Brian Mulligan and all different of the founding fathers of orthopedics back in the day. And one day, one of the massage therapists in the clinic I was working at came to me and he goes, oh my God, Rachel, I just had the craziest weekend. And I said, what'd you do, Tony? And he said, I went to this class, this physical therapist, and there were people rolling around on the floor, barking like dogs, laughing. And I said, (laughs) what? He said, yeah. I said, you went to a physical therapist class and there were people barking like dogs, rolling around on the floor and laughing. And he said, yeah, you got to go because you'll just have the funniest weekend of your life. And I said, okay. And I looked into it and then I got to see the famous bearded man, John F. Barnes. <laughs> he's one of my favorite bearded men of all time, yes. actually, meaning he's very, very wise. And I said, okay, this guy looks pretty interesting. I said, I don't know about physical therapy or anything, but you know what? I need some fun in my life. And I saw that he was doing a series in New York City. So I said, eh, whatever, it's like down the block from where I live. Let me go have fun for a weekend. And so I took my linear self, my orthopedic New York City self, and I went to the class. 
And I sat there like this with my arms crossed and I was listening. And, you know, some of the things he said made sense. And a lot of the things he said made sense in a little bit of an otherworldly manner. But I Mm -hmm. sat there, I listened. Nobody barked like dogs. Nobody (laughs) did anything else. And then we began after some time, really just practicing and learning some of the techniques. And that's when the dog barking and other worldly things started happening. And I was a little freaked out, but I've always been pretty curious and open-minded. So I just kind of settled into the physicality of the techniques and I felt them and I this, and, you know, I looked around the room, I listened to all of the other actions and expressions going on. And I just engaged in the techniques. And by the end of the first day, I had fun and I learned some things. But again, I was still very linear or what John calls uh, channel five minded during the process. Mm-hmm. So I decided to show up the next day. And again, same thing. We reviewed things and yada, yada. And then I got on the table And it was like an MFR angel. It must have been a very experienced therapist because at this point, you know, it was my first class. I had no idea there's all levels of experience. There's all levels of practitioners. And a very experienced therapist must have partnered up with me. And I got on the table and it hit me. Mm -hmm. And it hit me hard. I felt it from beyond the crown of my head to beyond the bottom of my toes. I don't know if I started barking like a dog, but there were definitely other things that I had never experienced, feelings, emotions while I was being treated. I really felt the full MFR mind-body experience. And let me tell you, once I felt it, I did not look back. I signed up for another course immediately. And I continued on my orthopedic linear path. I mean, I'm in New York City, so I'm a New York person. And I just started engaging in the training. And I now am an official dog barker, MFR person, and I have been for life. Love it. Love it. I also identify as, I don't know if I bark like a dog, but I definitely do some howling. So, and maybe some operatics. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what's going to come out, right? (laughs) Who, Who am I to judge or anyone else to judge? For me, it's actually normally a witch. Like I have what I call my omniscient witch and she lives just to the left side of my stomach. And she's my truth. She's my information. She's my knowledge. And it's interesting for me because throughout my process, I've been engaging in myofascial release as not only a practice for my patients, but for myself. It's Mm -hmm. certainly a fully embodied practice for almost 20 years now. And the witch has taken her course in this journey as well. For many, many years, she was an evil, ugly, nasty witch. And then, (laughs) yeah, she was. And then sometimes she's a beautiful, kind, like dancing, ethereal witch. And, you know, I would go back and forth because I would want to get the evil witch out or I would love my ethereal witch. And I really identify with her and I wanted her more. And at some point, and it's actually been kind of recently, I realized she's just a witch and I don't need to get her out. I don't need to whatever. I just need to make her happy. And she's part of me. She lives in my body. And sometimes she's louder than others. Sometimes she says more interesting things and gives me a lot of truth and information. But it's really been an incredible journey for me. And again, different animals come out of me at times too, I'm not to say, but my witch is really where my truth comes from. And At this point, through all my experience, I love my witch. I embrace my witch. She's always going to be there. And she always gives me information. And that's what she is for me. Awesome. That's so interesting. And I think it's so cool to like go through that whole 
initial experience, like when you're introduced to MFR and it's like rocks your world for the very first time. And then you start to like really incorporate it and like become an MFR therapist and you're doing it out in the world. You're doing it on yourself. Like you're getting a ton of treatment. And then you have these experiences where you're like a horse or a witch or an elephant, or you find your power animal, like all of these things. Mm -hmm. And I see this happen a lot, like where we can get really wrapped up in like, well, what is the meaning behind this? Like, I got to figure this out. And it's like that figuring it out ramp that we can go off in this weird direction that is kind of a distraction versus Mm -hmm. like, there's just like the acceptance and the allowing of like, I don't know what the fuck is happening, but we're just going to allow it. And like the same thing happens in, you know, our businesses where we, we want to know why and all these figuring it out. And it just wastes time that we don't have because we have a limited amount of time on the earth. And we want to be doing the things that you know, are fun and get us to where we want to go and get our businesses to where they want to go. So what would you say, like you started your business in 2005, right? Like your MFR business, what made you like decide I'm going to just go all in with MFR, even though like I'm a big time orthopedic physical therapist, but now I'm an MFR therapist. And I treat pelvic health as well. I do treat, and again, like conditions, diagnoses, we've learned these are all just different things. So myofascial release is my primary source of manual therapy. It's my ultimate go-to. It's what I base everything else on. But I actually don't discount all the wonderful teachers that I've ever learned from. So I consider myself an MFR synthesizer. So it's actually even better than being a simple MFR therapist because I take not only my physical therapy experiences and the things I've learned from other teachers, but I take my knowledge and my practices from all points in my life. I think you alluded to something, your power animals. So that's more of a shamanic practice. Mm -hmm. You know, I've practiced yoga. I started in an ashram when I was 17 years old with a yoga practice. So I incorporate all of my life experiences and some of my other manual therapy, but I do it in an MFR way. So again, I consider myself and my practice MFR synthesis. Yeah, I like that. I like that idea of the synthesizing. And it, you know, like anyone could really decide or believe that about themselves in their practice, which I think is helpful because people are coming to you for what you offer and right. Like your foundation can be MFR and like everything you do is through like that lens, but it incorporates everything that you bring to the table. So like your treatment is going to be different than mine, even though we're trained by the same master, like it's going to be different because I'm me and you're you and Chad down the street is different too. So I think it's important to point that out because there's this I don't know, sometimes in the therapy world is this lack of confidence in your skill level and like thinking like, oh, this person has so much training. They're going to be better than this person, blah, 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 blah. And it's really like, no, like your clients are coming to you for you and they're going to hundred percent of your clients are going to buy it from you. <laughs> they're your clients, right? Let's for just- sure the way it goes. So, And I train other therapists. It's not an independent practice. I have therapists in both my locations. And what we do is we build on myofascial release and everybody's skill sets. And you know what? I find that I'm even a different therapist every time I get treated because I learn from the treatments that I get. And sometimes I'll have another synthesizer work on me and they'll do something that's their own little je ne sais quoi. And then I'm like, ooh, let me try incorporating that in. And I see how my patients through their healing respond to it. And so I'm constantly synthesizing, changing, and really looking at patients, patient care, and MFR as a holistic approach. And it's not holistic, meaning 
non-interventionalist and you can't do this and you shouldn't do that, but it's holistic, really looking at the whole person and trying to give them whatever you can give them as a practitioner. And also knowing sometimes you have to bring in other practitioners or other sources of care so that you can, as an MFR practitioner, help people maximize their wellness to the best of yours and their ability. Nice. How long were you in practice before you expanded to having another location? Mm, So my story has been very, very interesting. I started my business in 2005, and I was working in a multidisciplinary office with a chiropractor, physiatrist, and we had a space rental shared space agreement. So I was an independent practitioner, but I was in this community of what at that time I was led to believe were like-minded practitioners, and we were going to refer to each other as a cohesive community. At that time, I was introduced to somebody else across town in Manhattan. Maybe two or three years later, I did have two practices in Manhattan. And that was going well and everything was fine up until about 2012, when some of the practitioners in both practices kind of got their own ideas of what was collaboration and community. And it just the sentiment, the spirit, the actualization of what we had all agreed to and had originally started at, it did not feel kosher to me at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I started feeling that we weren't going along with what our intentions were, I actually made a decision that this was not in my best interest to stay there. Also personally, I had started having children, my life had changed a little bit, and I just wanted to I knew I needed to keep things a little bit more simple at that point. And it was getting very, very complex and complicated within the quote unquote community practice that we were having. Okay. So then did you just go out on your own to create your own private practice then? So I literally closed down doors at both practices. At that point, I had moved from Manhattan because I was having a baby Mm -hmm. and I had moved to the Bronx. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to open up a little space in the Bronx, just me. I'm going to have my kids. I don't need this big business. I don't need to be big anymore. I need to focus on family at this time. I happened to, where I lived, run into another mom who had a child, was going to have a child at the same time on the playground. And she said, I'm a PT and I work for this home care business and whatever, and I'm sick and tired of it. And I said, well, we should just open up just you and me, a little shop together in Riverdale. I had no idea that anybody would be open to MFR or open to the creativity and individuality because I left the big city and I was moving to a small community in the Bronx. So she and I got together and we just opened up with two treatment rooms, a small little space really close to home and was going to keep it simple. Then we had a problem. (laughs) (laughs) What was the problem? The problem was within a few months, we were way, way, way overbooked. Ah, yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So much for keeping it simple, right? Yeah. So we ended up, at this point, it was a we. I took her in as a partner for the practice, keeping the same name and the same marketing materials as I had Midtown Physical Therapy in Manhattan. And we expanded. We actually expanded within the first year to four treatment rooms and a bigger space. And everything was great there. And we started taking on more therapists and we started growing. Everybody was doing MFR and started to take the courses. I was deep in having children and training with John at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how I did it all, but I did. Isn't that fun to look back and be like, how did we do that? (laughs) You know what? 
I learned this from one of my best friends and her husband, unfortunately, passed away very, very young and without knowing. And it was a very big trauma in everybody's life. This was my mm. best friend. And I always said to her throughout this ordeal, and I spent a lot of time with her and I said to her, gosh, I don't know how you do this. How do you do it? And she said to me, a very simple and wise thing, and it's, you're always as strong as you need to be. Mm, yeah, so true. And it's totally true. And that's something that from that lesson in my life of having my first very young friend, a big trauma in my life, and from her experience supporting her through it and those things, it's really a very, very important truth. I think everyone is always as strong as they need to be, as long as you recognize you have that power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So anyway, agree. I digress as I usually do. Well, that's fine. I think you were saying like you expanded, you had more clients, you know, right? more rooms, more people. You were deep into it, training with John. You were having deep kids. into it. Yeah. I even went down. I thought one time when I was pregnant with my second child, did you ever, when you were pregnant, did you ever get cramps in your feet so bad that yes. it's, oh my gosh, it's the worst. <laughs> and for me, my solution, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure a lot of people understand that. And it's just these yeah. cramps that happen in the middle of the night and you go into spasm. And for me, my solution was just swing my legs around and put my feet on the cold floor and then just stand up gently and you could like kind of stretch out of it. And I would hold that position for three to five minutes as mm-hmm. my MFR told me to. Mm-hmm. And one night in the middle of the night, I got extreme cramps in both of my legs and I swung my legs around and I went to put my feet on the floor and I must've been in so much pain or this and that. I literally missed the floor screaming in pain. I fell out of bed right on my tailbone. At the time I thought I broke my water. I ended up peeing all over myself. It was such a shock. It's a rude awakening. Yeah. I couldn't get off the floor. So here I was six and a half months pregnant and I completely injured myself. Oh, and by the way, I was scheduled to go to Sedona a week later for my last vacation and treatment before I was going to have my baby. (laughs) So, Oh my gosh. Life is incredible, isn't it? Yeah. So what did you do? So I spent the first week and again, I was still friends with some of the chiropractors and other practitioners. Somebody gave me, and I was like, I can't get an x-ray because here I am six and a half months pregnant, but I think I broke my sacrum. I couldn't walk. I couldn't move. I had a few people work on me. I did some something, but I was actually really nervous and scared that I had broke my sacrum. And meanwhile, I needed to have this baby. And so I was very concerned about their livelihood and my own. Mm -hmm. And by the time the course came, I said, I don't care if I need to get on a wheelchair. I'm getting on that plane. I need to be in Sedona. And I remember hobbling in and John saw me. And what he says to me is, what's wrong with you, Rachel from Brooklyn? Because he always remembered... (laughs) You're like, wait a minute. I am not from Brooklyn. I said, John, you always forget. I'm Rachel from the Bronx, not Rachel from Brooklyn. Hilarious. Oh my gosh, John. And anyway, he saw that there was something really wrong with me. And he ended up getting me on the stage as the demo for the first session. And I was like, John, I broke my back. I'm pregnant. You know, I was stuck in my story at this point Mm -hmm. and I was scared. And he got me on the stage. He treated me. He treated who is now my son, Asher. Everybody on the stage saw my son and his aura and his energy being treated. It was the most incredible experience. And I got off the table 70% better. That's amazing. Amazing. Throughout those courses, I scheduled 
one treatment at Therapy on the Rocks. Mm -hmm. And after that, I was 100% better and able to just kind of proceed as usual. So John fixed my broken back for me. So cool. What seminar was that? Do you remember? Mm, I can't accurately remember, but it was in 2010 towards the end of the year. So I would have to look back to see which oh, one okay. it was. I'm just it, wondering was like, so... if I was there. Was it up at the lodge? Yeah, at the Masonic Lodge. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. In 2010. Right. Yeah. Okay. I know it was 2010 because I had my son in 2011, but all the seminars kind of, because I've taken them so many times, yeah. I've instructed some of them. So they kind of glommed together for yeah. me. Like, I just wonder if it was fascial pelvis because I was like at that seminar. In 2010? Yeah. Maybe you were. <laughs> That's interesting. I know. I had, I had red curly hair then. I didn't have my white hair then, but that would be really interesting. Yeah. Well, because I just remember like a pregnant lady being treated and like, being called in to like see the aura over the belly. And and I'm sure that happens at many seminars, but like, I feel like I was there. That's so weird. It's such a small world, but yeah, maybe. <laughs> you know, it's a small world in MFR and it's a small yeah. world in general. So it sounds like, first of all, you can corroborate that my story is truth. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and you know, it may have been our first real engagement that we didn't even know about before mm-hmm. we actually have met and spoken with each other. That's the amazing thing about the MFR community, that no matter where you go or whatever you think, the connection and, and the web within our community is just mm-hmm. so real and so powerful. Yeah, I know. That's why I love working with MFR therapists, because it's just, I do know. I love everybody. Like, I think it takes a special kind of person or like just their makeup, their material to be an MFR therapist and to go through like the guts it takes to go and witness something where people are barking like a dog and like get past like the social norms of that, like being maybe quote unquote weird, but accepting that as like this actually it's weird that we don't do that or, you know, like whatever it is that we have to do to get our minds around that being okay and not letting the weird factor or the difference in it keep us from becoming amazing therapists who go on to like save people's lives Mm -hmm. (laughs) because that's what this work does and it like it starts with us like saving our own selves and healing our own traumas and our own pain but not getting stuck in that and getting the training so that we can help other people absolutely yeah and throughout our lives as we encounter more and more because life is traumatic whether it's small micro traumas over and over again or we do sometimes get big whompers in our life which is something that i've just recently encountered also Mm -hmm. that when you are an mfr therapist and you go through the traumas of life because you can't exclude yourselves as part of the human condition of what we're treating as well it's incredible to know that you are supported and you can be supportive and you always have these things to really help you get through all the things that one needs to get through in life. Yeah, that's so good. I wanted to interrupt the podcast to let you know that Raise Your Rate Bootcamp Live is coming back. Join me April 3rd through the 7th at 3.30 p.m. each day, Central Time Zone. Learn how to raise your rate and get coached throughout the entire process start to finish. Completely change what is possible for your business in just five days. Reserve your spot now. There is limited space available. You're going to want to join me live as there will not be any replays of this free event. And April Group Coaching Enrollment is happening April 5th through the 7th. So be ready to join then too. Remember, 
Raise Your Rate Live Bootcamp happening April 3rd through the 7th, 3.30 p.m. each day, Central Time Zone. Mark your calendars. You don't want to have any excuse not to join us live. See you there. Okay, so you went to that seminar. You had an amazing and that experience. Was you, Were you like, did you walk away from that like totally better, or what was the right. outcome for you? So again, John treated me. I guess you saw on the table for the one session. Pretty sure I did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just mark it down that that was true. Yeah, I'm we'll, pretty we'll sure. We'll have them verify and fact check us later. Okay? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went for one session at Therapy on the Rocks, and I was literally 100% cured. My back wasn't broken. Everything was good. Went back had my kids. And then again, my practice was growing and growing at that point. We moved to another space, which is the space that I'm currently in right now here in Riverdale, which again, I've outgrown again. And I'm in the process of looking for more space because we've really integrated into the Riverdale community so beautifully. Mm -hmm. And then last year I decided, well, you know what? I really miss actually being in Manhattan and treating because Manhattan people and Bronx people, even though it's only New York City, it's very, very different places. They are small neighborhoods. And especially even though John confuses me with Brooklyn, it's a very different place, Brooklyn, than New York, Manhattan, the Bronx, you yeah. know? Yeah. So I decided that I wanted to open up again and bring back MFR and the practice to Manhattan. And I opened up in Manhattan a little over a year ago, and I'm in the process of kind of growing and equalizing both practices right now. That's awesome. So what is it like for you to be a business owner of multiple businesses? What is it like to employ people or how does your structure work? It's incredible and it's incredibly challenging and it's incredibly wonderful. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that I've had to do in opening up two practices and starting to bring on more therapists. I'm rebalancing what I do as a therapist, as an owner, as a practitioner, because I always wear a lot of different hats, but I can only wear a certain number of hats in one day. And so right now I'm actually finding that balance because I love treating patients. I love training staff. I love business development and marketing. I love all aspects of the practice, but the truth of the matter is I can't do it all, all the time. And it's very hard for me. And I went through this year, a lot of guilt, a lot of reallocation, a lot of feelings and processing to say, you know what? I actually have to take a step back. It's really important for me to focus on the business development the marketing, the training, still going to seminars. Oh, and still eating, sleeping, taking care of my kids and all those things and find that balance. So this year I'm actually physically treating people, but treating a little bit less. But the quality of the patients that I'm treating is even more rewarding to me. So the balance works out okay. Mm -hmm. And I am reallocating my time towards the important parts of the business that I need to. Yeah. What would you say is the most important part of the business that keeps you in business? today. <laughs> Just in general, you can think about it. That's interesting. The most important business that keeps me in business are the relationships. It's the communication within the office and the practitioners. It's the communication amongst the practitioners. It's the communication with the patients. It's the communication with the community. And so it's making sure that communication is clear, transparent, and everybody is flowing and communicating with synchronicity because when there's any communication breakdown, whether it's amongst employees, whether it's amongst practitioners or non-practitioners, whether it's amongst 
the staff and the patients, because sometimes that happens too, mm -hmm. the miscommunication. And so I feel like my biggest role, I think of myself as the firefighter. So mm -hmm. I wear the fire hat and everything and everyone comes to me when it's like, oh, is it time to put out a fire? That's what I call them. Mm -hmm. And so putting out fires to make sure that everybody feels good about communication, I think is my biggest responsibility as a business owner. And it's something that is challenging, wonderful, and also really, really difficult to do because, you know, the firefighter is always prepared to put out fires, but when they're <laughs> battling that fire, you're in the heat of the moment and you really got to get it done. And it's very, very important. It gets taken care of. Yeah. What do you think the most important thought you have about yourself in that role as business owner or as firefighter? Like what feeling does that produce in your body and how does that help you put out the fires and not cause like cause or create more drama? Well, sometimes I do, you know, I'm perfect and a work in progress. And that's something, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's something that I've been learning this year. And actually I'm going through my own health issues this year. Over the beginning of this year, I was diagnosed with what they thought was pancreatic cancer. Oh my and gosh. Mm -hmm. And so that scared the shit out of me. And yeah. so I've had this medical journey myself this year. Mm -hmm. It turns out I ended up having a rare stomach cancer. So fortunately, because stomach cancer is much better than pancreatic cancer. You're like, in the list of cancers, I'm going to pick this one. Yeah, I feel fortunate. Yeah, no, <laughs> I didn't get to choose. But fortunately, again, so for several, several months this year, I was in a whole very Western medical model because mm -hmm. I did have a serious medical issue going on. Again, getting MFR the whole time, pre, during, and immediately after and still. So that's mm -hmm. really what helped that is me. Good. Well, I, I'm glad you shared the cancer story. I have one more question, then I'm going to circle back to what I asked you before. But like, okay. what made you go and seek more treatment? And didn't you didn't just decide like, oh, this is a fascial problem. Like this can be treated with wedges or hot packs or something like what made you decide to take a medical intervention to find out what you had? And that was a big challenge for me because before I was really committed to MFR holistic, which I always equated more with non-interventional, mm -hmm. but I think of it as the first line of intervention now. Yeah. But I was having pain. I thought I was having pelvic pain and issues. And I kept going for a year and a half in and out of the gynecologist. I'm having pelvic pain. I'm having bleeding. They kept telling me there's nothing wrong. Come back in six months. They did these tests, that test, nothing wrong, nothing wrong. I went to an MFR pelvic floor therapist, treated me. I saw other MFR and wellness practitioners, they all treated me, but my witch kept talking to me mm -hmm. and all the doctors and everyone said, nope, you're fine. Come back in six months. But my witch said, Rachel, you are not fine. There is something wrong with you. You better mm -hmm. get your ass to the doctor and get this taken care of. So I went to my internist and I said, listen, I've been in and out. I've done all of these interventions, but there's something wrong with me. And I believe it's more than I'm just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, I'm a little crazy, but I mean, who's not? And also no. something is happening. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I went to my internist and she said, you know what, Rachel, let me just scan your entire abdomen. Let's rule it all out. Hmm. And two or three days later, I got the phone call. And, you know, as a healthcare provider, I was like, oh, hi, Dr. Bain. And she's like, hi, Rachel. I was like, so are you calling me to tell me not to buy ripe bananas? Mm. And she went silent. Mm. And then it hit me. And I was like, oh, my God, she doesn't think that's funny. And then she told me they found a mass 
And at this point, they thought they found a mass on my pancreas. Mm-hmm. And it began my whole medical journey of things that I had never encountered before. But yeah. fortunately, I was able to reach out to a lot of other MFR therapists like Joan Miller, mm-hmm. who was one of my biggest, I mean, there's so many angels along the way. I'm, yeah. I can't even name them She's all. really special though. <laughs> Not only was she special, she literally from Florida, which is way far away from New York, Mm -hmm. she held my hand along the way and was so good because she's an MFR therapist and has her own medical journeys as well. And between her and like Craig Cohen in Miami and Mm -hmm. so many other therapists that I'm not, Molly McMillan Mm -hmm. also was very integral with my support system. Mary Ellen Tenbust, who's out on Long Island. I've had so many wonderful therapists that were able to support me and help me through the traditional and non-traditional process throughout the way that I was really able to keep it together, go through the process. I ended up having a stomach resection. They cut me open. It was really quite an ordeal, but I had to take off and even be out of work for six to eight weeks. But Mm -hmm. here I am four and a half months later. Wow. And so are you cancer free? What's your diagnosis? If you don't Uh, mind, you know, the medical model doesn't say that actually, (laughs) (laughs) but I don't listen to those doctors. So, you know, the medical model, and of course, you know, I'm seeing an oncologist at Sloan because I have to follow through responsibility. It's actually really important. And what they say is they'll call it remission in Mm -hmm. five to six years, but right now they cut all the cancer out and it was a successful surgery. And so in my mind, yeah, I'm totally cancer-free. Mm-hmm. I have the highest risk for the next three years, but there's nothing else I can do but make sure I get scanned and monitored and keep getting treated and moving towards the wellness model, the holistic model, staying yeah. balanced, staying as well as I can. And yeah, I'm cancer-free right now. I don't care what the people at Yeah, say. well, I think that's amazing. And I, I'm really glad that you were willing to share this with the audience and for anyone listening. Like, I think it's so important to listen to our bodies and to not gaslight ourselves into thinking like, oh, MFR has to solve all problems. John even says, you know, like, thank God, like you can have surgery. Like, <laughs> like thank God there's like all these other things out there available for us. They don't mm-hmm. have to be the first line of defense, but like, we also can't discount that people have become doctors for a reason and we sure. can't ignore our symptoms. And when you're not getting answers in the traditional way, like how you were trying things, but not getting answers like that, not giving up and continuing to ask and push, even while you feel medically traumatized, like to continue to advocate for yourself. Not everybody has that skill. So I just want to encourage anyone listening. Like if you're having unexplained bleeding or like weird pain, continue to investigate that. Yes. Continue to get treated, but don't turn a blind eye and just think that everything is going to be rainbows and unicorns for you because we all have human bodies and they, they get diseases, they get cancer Mm -hmm. and we want you to be around as long as you can. Right. And we want you to live a long life. Absolutely. And a long, healthy life means listening to the doctors. Mm -hmm. And for me, I learned when the doctors don't have an answer, it's important to ask more questions. And Mm -hmm. that's, again, my view of holistic wellness really changed, but it's about pursuing all avenues, non-interventional, minimal interventional, Mm -hmm. sometimes interventional, until you get answers and conclusivity. And that's really paramount. Yeah. And making decisions, like being able to not be paralyzed and unable to make decisions for yourself. Mm -hmm. That's so amazing. Like whatever headspace you're in, like you're still able to actively decide and advocate for yourself and look at you now, like you're only four months out of that. And like, I would have had no idea that you were sick. I don't know you out in real life. I mean, I do now. like, Hey, now we're friends, but 
I would have no idea. And I think that gives us more pause too, as MFR therapists to like really ask questions of our clients to really understand what's going on with them. So like, if there's a red flag for us, like we got to be referring out for that or just like give it as a suggestion. Again, I think it's so important and I'm so grateful for the support that I was able to kind of bring around me and that Mm -hmm. came with me, especially within, in the MFR community, they were really, really able to support me. And for that, you know, that's why I called John my bearded man. You know, I'm mm-hmm. Jewish and like bearded men are like the the real knowing old people, mm-hmm. the rabbis and things like that. But it was indirectly through all the relationships and everything. But through John, through myofascial release, I was able to have the support and really go deep within myself yeah. from everything that I learned and really be able to get through this with as much ease as I possibly could. But, you know, yeah. not to say it, it hasn't been easy. <laughs> no, none of that's easy, right? Like and none of us would pick it on purpose. But I think seeing beauty in it at all, and surviving and continuing on and continuing to have a thriving practice. Like it must've been really scary to think about taking that much time off. You had built the foundation in your business. I'm assuming that it could survive without you for that amount of time. Oh, really? No. I didn't know I could. I've never okay. been away from my business. And yeah. remember I had just expanded and opened up this Manhattan high risk, expensive rent location. Mm. And then four or five months later I was sick. So, yeah. so how'd was... that go? Like what ended up happening with your business? So fortunately, my therapist and my practice, very, very, very confident, very wonderful practitioners. And again, I'm going to admit it, I was on my phone and I was doing whatever I could throughout. I think the day I had surgery that I was like under anesthesia, I didn't go on my phone. I didn't communicate. I said, oh, you know, so-and-so will lead the ship. But as soon as I could, even with tubes down my throat and like morphine needles in my arm, Mm. I was participating as best as I could, even though I wasn't able to treat patients. And I think as a business owner, you just have that drive. And it was actually really good for me. It was really important for me to have a role, even though I couldn't treat patients, I couldn't do direct care. I was still able to participate to the limited and the best of my ability. But as a business owner, it was paramount that I keep doing one of my important roles in my life. So if you had to do that over again, like say you now, Rachel now knew to plan for something like a inability to work or whatever, Mm -hmm. like, would you have set anything else up differently in your business? Like, do you have advice for people to plan ahead for that and to have like a standard operating procedures in place, like so that your employees know how to function without you. Could your business live on if you weren't there? So my business did and could live on with me not there because I have so many wonderful practitioners, staff, and everybody around me. But again, it definitely declined when I wasn't there because the owner, the face behind a business is a very paramount and important part of the practice. So it was able to sustain and survive, but my business actually did not thrive with me being gone. It just, everybody, thank God, was able to kind of keep it together, keep it even keel. And now that I'm back, I'm really putting the gas in and kind of really driving the business for growth because we are in a growth phase right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's so interesting. I wonder like if though on purpose, like going forward, you could figure out the way to motivate the employees and like everybody that's working for you to bring that kind of energy to mm-hmm. the job, right? Because no one wants to grow someone else's business the way we want to grow our own business. But like what Absolutely. happens when our employees do want to? Right. 
So I have a wonderful incentive program that I do for my employees. And this is something I've always done for my business because I want everybody to be independent, autonomous practitioners under this umbrella of Midtown Physical Therapy that we're all working as a community and a unit. So I, even from the beginning, I incentivize my therapists for productivity. I incentivize my therapists for referrals and I incentivize them by like motivating them and the go-getter and I incentivize them financially too. So every single therapist and practitioner gets a salary and gets, you know, their basics as health insurance and all of those things that any business would. And I'm not sure how other businesses do it, but I think it is so important to promote development and growth, not just professionally taking courses, trainings, learning more MFR, developing yourself. But I think it is so important for everybody, even though they don't own the business, to take some kind of ownership and look to grow and develop themselves, which is what I encourage in every single employee that works for me. Yeah. And it's probably a different relationship than when you have employees that are like literally just clocking in and clocking out, which I think like you get to decide what your environment is like and who you hire. But it's mm-hmm. so funny when people will be like just starting their MFR business and they'll run into another MFR therapist that's like, oh, great. Can you hire me? And the instinct is for that, you know, therapist A to be like, yes, even though they've not started up their own practice, don't know how to self-sustain themselves, let alone build someone else's career for them. And sometimes that's how it can be is like, you get almost like a barnacle on you. They want, want you to provide everything for them and they don't want to have to do any of the work. So you really got to be understanding, like, what is your reasons behind creating a bigger practice? What does that look like? Like, what is your end goal? And what do you want the experience for yourself to be and for your employees? And like, do you really want to hire barnacles or do you want to hire the starfish that are going to like push the ship along. I don't know why this is turning into an ocean analogy. I think it's a great analogy, actually. (laughs) I think it's wonderful. And the truth of the matter is, you don't know if you're hiring a barnacle or starfish until they're working for you for some time. And for Mm -hmm. me, I don't care if I hire a barnacle or a starfish or anything in between. What I do is I get to learn about the person. They get to see me and it becomes this organic experience. So I incentivize my therapist. And you know what? I need some therapists who are more like barnacles. I need some more starfishes because if I had a whole practice of starfishes or me, firefighters, forget <laughs> it. That would not work. I'd say I would never hire another You need the whole person. ocean. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. And we need... Yeah you know, the sea slugs, we need everything, you know, in the practice. And for me, as you develop the relationship and solidify communication and trust and all of those things, that's something that takes time. And Mm -hmm. you can't do anything to force time and to force relationships. So as the relationships develop, I check in with my therapist and I say, well, what has the past year been? What is next year looking like? And we always have a very open and trusting relationship. I tell people, you know what, if you want to work here for the rest of your lives, you want to become an ownership, let's do it. If you want to quit in a year or two, let me know. And so I always make sure that I'm fluid and flexible enough and let them know that my door is always open because the worst thing that you can have for businesses or for yourself are surprises. I hate surprises. They happen sometimes. But for the most part, when you have a solid relationship with your practice and your employees, Unless it's life-changing things like getting cancer. That was a surprise I didn't know about. Yeah, but a surprise. But I've had therapists, a great therapist who's in Indiana, Rachel Proctor. She worked for me for years and years, and she knew she had to go home. She came to me crying and gave me, I think, four months notice. 
And that was a great ending. And she's still somebody that we have a relationship. We communicate with each other and she's still very much part of my network. So I think making sure that regardless of if things end or when they're going to end, one never knows. And it's a mutual relationship. I always make sure to try to leave from my end. I make sure everybody knows that that door is always open and come talk to me and we'll work it out so that we both and everyone has the best case scenario. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's circle back to the thought that got you in the position to open up multiple practices. Like what were you thinking about yourself and about your possible success? Mm -hmm. Well, I, so my personal circumstances also changed. So I was married in a relationship and I was kind of cruising for a while and cruising felt okay. My children were young, but I've always been this very driven hustler type of gal. And like, Mm -hmm. I always saw bigger and I always, from a very young age, not that it's never good enough, but I always want bigger. And it's not that I want to make more money only, or I want, but I want to help more people. I want to expand. I want to spread the word. I want to keep growing and developing and let it get as big as feels comfortable. So I was in a cruising phase and everything was okay. And now I just realized COVID was the impetus for me to realize just cruising and being in that comfort zone is not who I am. It doesn't feel good. And for me, driving my drivers and just expanding and seeing where it goes is something that's very, very important for me and for the practice and for the community that we're treating. Because now that I'm back in Manhattan and the word is spreading, because believe it or not, there's not that many MFR practitioners in Manhattan right now. Mm -hmm. And we're educating and informing people that are open to it and want and need the treatments. So we are bringing a beautiful thing to the community of the Upper West Side and to people that really, really need it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Would you say like you think about yourself like I'm always striving for more or like this can get as big as I want it to get? So this can get as big as I want it to get. And as I go through the steps, I'm constantly reevaluating, reassessing again There's so many other things besides your business that account. I look at it as the houses within my home. I only have one home. I have lots of different houses. I look at them as purple hearts, actually, not Mm -hmm. actual houses. So I have lots of hearts that I put in lots of places. And there's an unlimited amount because new hearts, new houses come in and go in your home. And so I actually don't have an end goal or know like, oh, I want to have six practices or 10 practices. Maybe I'll stop at two successful practices. Maybe I'll have two and another opportunity comes up. So I'm just open to exploring, going with what feels right and going with doing the best that I can at any given moment in my life with myself and with my practice. Love it. How many hours do you work a week? In your business and on your business. (laughs) I say I work eight days a week, 24 seven, and I wish I had 36 hours in my day. (laughs) That's hilarious. Oh my gosh. Hilarious, but true. Yeah. But I, I love it. And for me, I don't actually look at the hours because sometimes things change. This weekend, I gave a women's empowerment pelvis circle on a Sunday. I don't generally treat or work on Sundays, but we got together a group of eight or 10 women and we gave this workshop. So I worked on Sundays and it Mm -hmm. was a wonderful experience. So I don't clock my hours. I don't count my hours, but I kind of try to balance it as it goes. And for me, I'm a, you can tell, right? I think most people, let's just say they operate at 55 miles an hour. My natural baseline, I think is about 70 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the Audubon. <laughs> 
it's just I have the drive, I have the energy. And for me, when I'm operating at less than 70, like when I just had a practice that was just kind of cruising along, like I get bored too. Like I need the stimulation. I need to have the adventure, the excitement. I need to drive my driver. And so for me, it fills me and it drives me. And I just kind of reassess on a week by week, month by month basis. And I see how I'm doing and what I can do at that week. And I just let it be organic. Awesome. But I probably do need to work less a little bit, but you know, I mean, it's something to check into, right? I always like to ask like people in coaching, what feeling are you afraid to feel if you slow down? Mm -hmm. What's there that you don't want to have to have in your body, right? That keeps you running that fast. But that's either something you think is a problem or you think it isn't, right? It doesn't have to be a problem. And right now, it's definitely not fear-based for me. I'll tell you for me, I don't wish this on anybody out there, but once you get cancer and survive cancer, I'm not afraid of anything anymore. Mm. So, or there's nothing currently in my life that I feel afraid of. And I've had lots of different experiences, lots of things. I grew up lots in of life, and, lots of life experiences. We could yeah. go into, you could ask, put a topic out there and I'll tell you about my life experience lady, yeah. you know, cause you know, people say your health, that's the only thing that's important. And everybody mm. says it and it's this colloquialism and it's this thing that everyone talks about. But let me tell you, your health is the, thing that is important. Mm -hmm. And now I'm still getting my health back. And right now, I can't tell you that I have any fears whatsoever. I have confidence. I have drive. I have motivation. Some days I have a little less energy. Some days I still have to see more doctors because I am still in the healing process and going through things. But I want to succeed and drive in all the areas that I can to the best of my ability any day. And that's actually what makes me feel really, really good. I love it. Mm-hmm. All right. So one last question before we wrap up, what would you say is the ultimate success for you and your business? To me, the ultimate success really has been coming to terms with the fears, the anxieties, and they're not all gone. They're still there. But for the most part now, those are gone. I have the confidence. I have my drive. and I know that I can continue to do more and more and grow and expand. And again, this is something that I learned from Craig Cohen because I have been getting a lot of treatments. He's down at IPT in Miami. And one thing that he taught me and I learned through this whole process is I can be perfect the way I am and still be a work in progress. And for me, as long as I stay grounded in the fact that I am perfect and I'm a work in progress, I'm going to take it wherever it's meant to go. And I don't have anything else that I have to worry about or think about. I love that so much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you can do a lot of things not feeling perfect, right? Like you can be afraid or you can have anxiety and you can still do the things. Like you don't have to wait for those things to pass. You don't have to wait for a perfect scenario. You can get cancer and still build practices and open them up. You don't have to just shut down your life because Mm -hmm. you're afraid. Right. Well, and just because you have cancer or you're dealing with other things, negotiating real things in your life, it also doesn't mean you're not perfect. And that's something that I took a while to reconcile and I'm still working on, but I'm almost there. And that has made a big change for me because you have that vision of you're going to have the perfect practice. You're going to be the perfect therapist. And that's for me. I mean, growing up, this is the way as yeah. it, maybe it's just a new, the New Yorker in me. I don't know, but I always had that drive and had that, you know, perfect can be 
a good thing and a bad thing if it's something yeah. that you're working with. And for me, I've changed it just to be a, a wonderful thing because I'm perfect just the way I am and I can do whatever I need to do to the best of my ability at that point. Yeah. I love that so much. Yeah. And perfect is kind of boring. Like if we all had to be perfect all of the time, I mean, like the stress that goes with that is, I don't like it at all. Like I'm definitely not perfect, but also like I'm perfect just the way I am. Like I like that saying and like, I just accept how I am. And sometimes it's a big challenge to be me. Just like, I think it's whoever we are. Like it's a challenge to live in our body, to live with our brains, live with our thoughts or whatever. But like at the same time, like it's okay. And nothing's going wrong. Like it's okay. Even when the worst thing happens, like it's still okay. We get through everything until we don't, but like, that's the ending for all of us. (laughs) You know, I think that it's, you said like, sometimes it's, it's hard and this, this, and that. And I've learned that it can be complex, but you don't have to make it complicated. Mm-hmm. And that's something as well, because complex and complicated are two things that can be intertwined. But when you go through the complexities and whatever it is, you just have to keep breaking it down, stay present and grounded with where it is. And don't, to the best of your ability, try to minimize the complications. And then everything works out the way it's supposed to. Yes. I love that so much. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you? So they can find me in lots of places. They can find me at www.midtownpt.com. They can find me at Insta at Midtown Physical Therapy. They can find me Facebook, Riverdale Midtown Physical Therapy. They can call me, they can text me, smoke signals, whatever they want. We can just communicate telepathically. I love it. Well, I will got do two I will do this. I will put all of your links in the show notes. So for anyone listening with your ears, not your eyes, there will be links in the show notes. So you can find Rachel and connect with her, follow her on all the socials or drop her an email. Awesome. Also, I do want to mention one thing that has been part of my growth that has always been my dream was to incorporate intensive programs into my practice. Mm -hmm. And it had been something for a few years I've been working on, developing, and it just never really worked out because it is a complex thing to register and get people enrolled and do these intensive programmings. And I kind of just let it go. And the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, I was in the airport delayed trying to get somewhere. And I got an email from a referral of a referral. Hey, I have a big trauma going on. I'm in New York next week for just one week. And I said, what is going on here? (laughs) My flight was delayed six hours. Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, I ended up setting up for the following week, my first intensive in my Manhattan practice. And so this was a time of great growth, great experience. It just came to me. And now that's kind of where I'm going with my practice. It was the most incredible, wonderful experience for my therapist, for the practice, for this patient who we were able to help. We introduced him to myofascial release. We've connected him to myofascial therapists where he lives. And so it's incredible how this one email and the one flight delay changed so many people's lives and introduced so many people because this is somebody who's actually a pretty predominant person in their community mm-hmm. and they never knew anything about myofascial release. And now they're going to bring it to themselves and to their community in such a meaningful, powerful way. So I just wanted to share like a really amazing thing that kind of, I just put to the side and organically just happened in the practice without even trying to make it happen because everything does work out the way it's supposed to. Yeah. That's so cool. And imagine what would happen if you start doing that on purpose. You're just like, this is just what this practice is now. I mean, that's like what John's practices are. Like they're all Mm -hmm. intensive, right? And that's 
not on accident. It's on purpose. And I just love that. I love that so much. Yeah, so I don't know where my practice is going. We still, we do treat people regular sessions, this mm-hmm. and that. Yeah. Now that we saw the wonderful outcomes of the intensives. So my practice is in this amazing state of growth and change as well, which it always is. So it's a beautiful thing. So cool. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I'm sure we will be in touch. It's just our first time meeting. So this was my honor and pleasure, Heather. Thank you so, so much. I hope that I was able to provide one thing of value to your listeners, because if I was able to do that, or one thing of value, I learned a lot from you. And I hope that if you or anybody else was able to learn one thing from me, then this was a totally successful use of everyone's time. So thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the MFR Coaches Podcast. We'll catch you next week. Bye. Thanks for joining me today. My goal is to help all MFR therapists stop under earning and burning out. I have several resources available for you. Read my book, The MFR Coaches Guide to Having Your Own MFR Business, available on Amazon and at Advanced John Barnes MFR Seminars. Keep listening to the podcast. I'll always have fresh content each and every week. Join my group coaching program. Enrollment opens four times per year. We take all the information I teach and lay down the foundation for your six-figure MFR business. It's more than just raising rates, but you'll make that the hardest part. Then expand into the business owner who delivers your rate like it's just the news and who can sell MFR to anyone in any situation. I'll show you how. Get on my email list. Follow me on social media at the MFR coach and visit my website for more information on group enrollment, the MFR Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next week.